if you like betting on golf. But everyone that you back misses the cut, get some experts involved. With all the stats and the tips and so much more, cause it's the golf betting system, the golf betting system, it's the golf betting system. Greetings and welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 150. This is our 2021 AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am Tips episode. Paul Williams and Barry O'Hanrahan both join me, Steve Bamford, to discuss this week's European and PGA Tour action. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Morning, lads. Is it early enough for you? Yeah. Sure, yeah. It's super early somewhere. It's uh, light. That's an important thing, isn't it? This time of year in lockdown, a little bit of light just gives you a little bit of hope, and uh, all the snow that's coming and hitting uh, the UK and Ireland right now. Yep, covered in snow. Nicer conditions in California this week, though. Barely looking at the forecast. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about that. Uh, This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. Please be gamble aware. You can visit begambleaware.org for more information. And of course, please bet responsibly. Visit our world famous golf betting system website with our in depth betting previews, masses of tournament statistics, and our predictor models, all available completely free of charge with no paywall. Uh, We are available on social media. On Twitter, Barry is at a good talk golf, Paul is at golf betting. And I am at Bamford Golf. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. Plus, look out for the Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. Please take time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That is the podcast currency and drives our list of numbers continually upwards. It's it's funny, actually. We are um, getting lots and lots and lots of five-star reviews from the guys, as we know, I've got a few more to read out in a few seconds. And the amount of downloads we are getting continues to increase. So there's a there's un, you know there's definitely a link here. So please keep the five star reviews going. It's absolutely um, it just helps you know the show and it helps the popularity of the show. As ever, for those of you who do leave a review, I will read them out at the start of a future show. Now I've got three here. Um, we've only got one tournament, so let's read out three, shall we? First one, brilliant brilliant analysis is free, five stars. Discovered this six months ago. Tuesday is now my favourite part of the week. All the presenters are incredibly knowledgeable, engaging and entertaining. Keep up the great work. We can't keep hitting the bar. And he's put in, uh, he's put in brackets, Palmer and Steel last two weeks. And that is from Sean Parker in Oxford. We can, Sean, we can keep hitting the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be ridiculous. We're we're smashing the post and the crossbar on a regular. That is Sean Parker in Oxford. Sean, thank you. Uh, Number two. This one is entitled "You're Killing Me!" Exclamation mark. Uh, it's quite short and sweet. It's from Kevin McCune, or Kevin McCune, and he's in New Hanover in Pennsylvania. Cashing tickets. I love you guys. That's his five star review. He loves us, so that's good. <laughs> what what, what more do you need to say? <laughs> Cashing tickets. Love you guys. From he Kevin. must be laying your tips, Steve. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hanover in Pennsylvania. 
And then the final one, this is from Double, Dan, uh, Double Bogey Dan. We've all been there. Every week is uh, the title, five stars. Listen to this every week for the stats and breakdown. Got me into the game in a much bigger way, which I love. Also, a fun drinking game to be played. If you take a drink every time they say clearly about facts nobody knew. <laughs> I'd love to participate in that game when we're recording, but it's always a morning on a Tuesday when we do that. <laughs> oh dear. Clearly. Oh, Absolutely. Should we talk about last week? I know we need I've got plenty of things to moan about here. But yes. I'll, I'll hand first of all. I'm going to hand the floor to Paul, who had a great sixty-six to one tip in Kevin Nar, who was right in the mix. Mm. He's pretty much head to head with DJ, wasn't he, at one stage? Yeah. Well, I don't know. on Saturday and yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Well, you kind of. You get to a point in these tournaments, don't you, where you've got a player, it was whittled down to one or two players. In fact, during the course of the event, I had uh, three who had a chance of at least making the places, I guess. You know, Hovland was there or thereabouts. In fact, Hovland, um, over the course of the first two days, he's on the wrong side of the draw. By Totally. Totally wrong side of the draw, yeah. And you know, over the course of the four days, he was the best or joint best player um, who sat on that wrong side of the draw. So whilst you can kind of understand why he finished a little bit further off the lead than he perhaps could have and should have done. Um, he still had a chance. He's, you know, he got himself into a contending position, even though he was the wrong side of the draw. And just a bit of a shame that he couldn't quite push on. And we know, we know with Hovland, his long game is fantastic, isn't it? It's just, uh, it tends to struggle a little bit around and on around the greens, which uh, gets accentuated every now and again, particularly when you're up against a decent field. But, um, but yeah, Kurt Kichiyama finished 12th and he had a chance of making a, an each-way place. So he wasn't far off, but 150 to 1, it kind of gives you a run for your money. But yeah, Kevin Nahr was the major, major disappointment because he absolutely got himself into the mix. He got, he got himself right in contention. He got himself into a, a share of the lead a couple of the times. Um, and both times absolutely blew up, didn't he? You know, Saturday afternoon, having found himself in a share for the lead, or in a tie mm-hmm. for the lead, and then starts throwing in bogeys and doubles and um, completely falls off the pace. Um, and then starts Sunday morning, four straight birdies, and you're like, well, okay, he's, he's back in the mix here. He's got himself a chance. Yeah, you know, <laughs> at least he, at least he's going to give me a nice sixty-six to one each way payout. Yeah, he's you know he's, he's got himself into it. You know he's sitting in second spot and he's got yeah. himself a, a you know a, a chance of you know, given what we saw at the Sony where he was he, he was really good. He was really capable of converting that opportunity. And uh, you know for all of the positive things that I've said about Kevin Nair over the last um, you know, week or couple of weeks, where you know he seems to have turned into this player who can convert. And of course, as soon as he's carrying my money, then it uh, all goes down the pan. So yeah, that late treble he made on the par three, what was it, the 15th, 16th? <laughs> he didn't like that hole, did he? <laughs> no, clearly not. It's and the hope that kills you. That's yeah, the other thing with Nar, though. It's he, he, clearly he's been he's been winning tournaments recently. Yeah. He's been he's, no, he hasn't been. You know, it wasn't. This isn't Kevin Nar of twenty ten or two thousand nine mm-hmm. when he just knew he was going to collapse. 
Think no, he's, he's pretty prolific the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so um, it's amazing how momentum can just turn so quickly. Like one shot that's just not quite right, and you get in a bit of trouble, and the next thing you know, you're being spun around and spat out, and uh, a few holes have gone by, and you're out of it. Yeah, it's just um, it's an amazing game. Yeah, yeah. So you know, in in the end, what a, a slice of the each way action with Hovland. Um, yeah. The each way double. With um, with Xander, paid most of the uh, most of the each way element out. There was a bit of a bit of a cut for tyres in there, so it wasn't a complete disaster. But uh, but yeah, another week that promised far far more and just didn't quite uh, didn't quite deliver. And you know, again, I, I know you were screaming about Tony Finnau again, uh, Barry, in terms of you know his shot selection and uh, willingness to really attack at the business end of these tournaments. I mean, the 17 was a dis- like inexplicable decision for me to to not go to to not try to not take the driver. It was playing downwind. You know, you just knock it short right of the green, and you have a nice, uh, pretty open entrance to the green to get up and down from there. And he's got the you know we've seen the power he can add to his drives in that extra distance, and you know that's the kind of shot you need to take on when uh, when you're going for the win and. Not only did he not take it on, he then took a driving iron and put it in the rough. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, just an absolute... I mean, he... It, it, sure, like, that has to... I mean, you hope that's going to be a trigger point for him. You know, at least if you give it a shot and you fail, you've got that um, peace of mind at night. But, you know, he's going to he's going to have gone to bed, hopefully thinking... Jesus, I really screwed that one up there, lads. You know, you know, I, I went for the safe play. It was a disaster. Maybe I do need to get a bit more aggressive when, you know, when when it's crunch time. It might it might be a trigger point. Well, that's, that's all we can hope for for Tony because he's such a talented golfer, and you just you're rooting so hard for him. Um, I'm not sure if Steve's even rooting for him anymore. I I just can't I can't tell. <laughs> well, I, was, <laughs> you know, but, I was wondering, do we need to rechristen him? Do we need to call him T two Tony? T two Tony, maybe. But we're gonna if we do that, we're calling you Crossbar Bamford. You know, so <laughs> I've got a question for you two. Um, we'll we'll move on to Brooks Kepka and Xander in a short while. Um, Dustin Johnson, are we seeing something very very special from him at the moment? I mean, this 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 guy has landed twenty four PGA Tour wins. And he's now got nine classified European Tour wins as of Wikipedia this morning. Make of that what you will. I'm not at, if they, There'll be a couple of those double counted, so Masters yeah, yeah, and yeah, whatever. WGCs and stuff. Yeah. Um, let me. I think he did. I did. I. Oh, I don't know. It all gets very complicated. But this this guy is absolutely phenomenal at the moment, and it, it just grabbed me yesterday when the first prices were chalked up on the AT and T Pebble Beach. Four to one, and I said to my wife, "I said I haven't seen four to one since Tiger Woods." But you look at it: Saudi International first, Tournament of Champions eleventh, the Masters first, Houston second, U.S. Open sixth. He then clearly won the um, FedEx Cup at the Tour Championship. He won the Northern Trust. Uh, he won the Travelers in in June. I'm counting one, two. Classify the Tour Championship as a win. That's five wins. That's five wins in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 
in 11 tournaments. I mean, it is Woods-esque, isn't it? I don't think it's the, the, world, the world rankings don't lie, do they? And he's head and shoulders above everyone else at the moment in terms of that uh, OWGR points. But it's kind of creeping up on us, and it's, I don't think it's getting nearly enough sort of talking space about just how good Dustin Johnson is at the moment. It's just phenomenal. I mean, he won that tournament in Saudi last week with a miss-hitting putter. He was 99th in the field for strokes going putting last week. There's a difference, right? That, that'll tell you how good he is because Rory yeah. does similar things in the long game on, on these weeks and everybody, you know, what was it? A couple of weeks ago, Rory's putting, he was like 66th or 70th, you know, not, you know, just awful. But DJ goes on and wins. Wins? Wins. And you, and you can't you know. say it's just a trivial European Tour event because that field was stacked. Yeah, yeah, it was a good field. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and the thing is, it, it's, it's all with consummate ease, isn't it? It's there's no panic, there's no um, there's no drama. It's just kind of it just saunters around these golf courses and picks up trophies. It's I I didn't th- I didn't I didn't throw in there the near miss at the PGA Championship where I, I was on board he finished second you'll be surprised to hear but I did have actually Morikara that week. He finished second to at the BMW Championship that in that playoff to John Rahm. Yeah, it's this phenomenal stuff right now from Dustin Johnson. And and you know when we listen to podcasts and TV programs, YouTube and whatever yeah, there's a lot of chat about when you know Rory McIlroy's this and Bryson DeChambeau's reinventing the game, and uh, Justin Thomas is a born winner. He hasn't won in the last twenty, uh, but and very little talk about Dustin Johnson. And I think we're actually seeing something very special right now. And do you remember back at the memorial when he went eighty eighty? You know, just <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at it on my screen right now. Eighty eighty, last Phenomenal. place. Went to the, Strokes th- game, went to the 3M game. Open, Barry. Shot 78 in round one and withdrew. Yeah. And from that pl- that from that tournament on, 12-2, 1-2, won the Tour Championship, 6-2, 1-11-1. Madness. Yeah. And clear daylight between him and everyone else in the world rankings. He also seems- I'd say he doesn't care about the world rankings. No, no. It, just, it doesn't feel like a, it's of any concern to him whatsoever. He, seems, he just goes out and plays awesome. He seems to have this maturity, especially with that Masters win now, where it could be he's got to a point where this could... DJ's always been the sort that can win three and five tournaments. Yeah, he's always been sparky. He's always had that Rory McIlroy ability. But has he actually reached this mental space where he can continue this? Hmm. And he will be going off at five, four to one in big tournaments with stacked fields. Are we entering something very special right now? Don't know. Don't know. I, th- I think we're in the middle of something, something special. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's amazing to watch. It's such a pleasure to watch him play golf at the way he is right now. Um, clearly caused absolute mayhem this week um, with a withdrawal for the AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am overnight. Uh, we'll go into some detail about how the prices have completely collapsed on that event. Um, I want to mention Xander. Speaking before. of collapses. <laughs> yeah. Since the start of 
the new season on the PGA Tour. Keep up with us, chaps. I know I know it's all kind of all over the place with the PGA Tour. The new season started in September. I have had six runner-up finishes, and I've also had a third-place finish where the two above got into a playoff. I think I've had Dustin Thomas twice, Xander now twice. I had Harry Higgs. Uh, I had Cameron Smith at the Masters. It's just it's just never ending. Second places. This is the crossbar our um, our, our guy who reviewed us was talking about this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to change, isn't it? If it? This is the way the game goes, though. As we know, you you can have a lot of near misses. It's incredibly difficult to get a player over the line. Uh, with any kind of regularity. So you keep getting these guys in the mix, one of them's going to fall over the line, and then you'll find another and another, and uh, all will be well in the world once again. I look at it positively, because I've never had a period of time where I've had so many players in contention. So I'm clearly doing something right with the analysis and what I do, but just none of them are winning. It's it's slightly frustrating. But we'll... the, the thing that frustrated me more was Xander. We said last week, Paul... That tournament is absolutely metronomic, what they do at, in, at TPC Scottsdale every single year. It's scorable at the start. They then let the course firm up. And we said 17-18 under par, pretty much every year wins that. And he went off in the final round with Jordan Speed, tied at 18 under par. One of those guys shoots one under, two under, they win. Simple as that, yeah? And I read in Jordan's interview after it, he said, um, we, were, we were joshing because last time we played it together was at the Open Championship, the one that um, Molinari won in 2018. They went off and they were all... Because t- it was... A, I remember that tournament. There was like... Wasn't it six or seven all tied for the lead or one off yeah, the lead? Yeah, going yeah. Into the yeah. Yeah. They played together and they. it was one of the worst rounds both of them had ever had. They just... And they were, they were, they knew it. They knew that before, and they were joshing about it. And they were, they even spoke about it coming down eighteen. Apparently, saying, "Well, it's happened again. <laughs> We've had an absolute nightmare playing together." Speak absolutely mindful. You know, mind screwed Xander. You know, think about it. It's do you know what I had? I was just watching that final group. You know, you knew Spieth was not going to have the day he had the day before uh, on Saturday, which was magnificent. Right. You know, and and. You you know the the putts aren't going to drop the same way, but he no. was spraying it off the tee, and I wonder if that just unsettled Xander a little bit, just mm-hmm. having that sideshow. Um, I mean, Xander just what well, that final group wasn't anywhere near the pace of those greens. It was like they were given a different practice green to put on before the mm-hmm. round. They just yeah. they didn't have it, and Xander just looked just looked a little bit out of kilter. You know, a couple of his. Uh, setups for tee shots just it just didn't didn't look like he was comfortable and he still pulled the trigger whereas normally when Xander's not comfortable you see him stand off and and get it right but there was just a couple of drives um, that he just pulled the trigger on you're like oh that's not uh it's not going to work out well and it didn't um it's uh yeah he's not he's not quite into that um Tony Fino kind of realm of like not getting the wins you know but uh, it's it's not a not a great mark against him. No, well, you know, aside from that um, tour championship effort where he was the best player on the week, um, regardless of what the what the final result actually says, um, 
how many how many second place finishes is that now since he last won? It must be five or six, mustn't it? Yeah, it's he's racking them up and again, like, yeah. The one that really hurt that mean like, like yesterday you know, Sunday hurt, but the one with Jason Kokrag when you, you're losing in a head to head against Jason Kokrag, you think they're just there's something about. We've had two weeks, two winners: Patrick Reed and Brooks Kepka. Absolute players that smell blood in the water and just take that. They've got that ability to take a championship, a tournament. Just take it, and just know, they just, just convert. Illegitimate drops, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get a they, they were, victory, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just absolute, like Kapka. I mean, we should okay. We can get off the lads and onto Kapka now. I mean, wow, wow. To go from breaking a couple of sets of irons the previous two weeks to just pulling it all together and deciding, I'm yeah, I'm just going to go grab this and win it. It's it's just like the way he went on to win a lot, you know, a lot of his majors. From nowhere decides, yeah, I'm I'm just getting my shit together and I'm just gonna blow them all away and and he backs it up. It's it's um it's really special to watch it. Mm. Not great if he's the shark that's um you know, chasing after your <laughs> your really slow moving uh, fish, you know, of a bet. But Going backwards, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like fair play to everybody who took the punt on him um, pre-event and even during the event because, you know, there was no, like everything, like always with Brooks, there's no evidence there that, no real strong evidence there that can compel you to make the bet on him. It is a bit of a leap of faith, but time and again, if I mean, if we had that barometer about where Brooks's mental game is, you know, when he finally gets that uh, kick, you know, digs the heels in, it would be, it would just be, uh, would make life easy as a gambler, you know, uh, when it comes to Brooks. But wow, he's, um, I think, I think he's back. Well, when he's winning genuinely standard PGA Tour events, then you have to take note, don't you? Because they generally they just don't interest him, do they? It's yeah, you know it, the only things that really gets him interested are the WGCs and in particular the majors. So to see that, uh, see that effort, yeah. And as you say, there was a number of people who looked at the price forty five fifty. I think there was a little bit of fifty fives out there very early on last week. And um, mm. you know, you look at the price, you look at the name, and put two and two together, and completely ignore what you've seen over the last few weeks. And sometimes it pays off. As Pat Mayo and Jeff Feinberg have been saying on their show, it's betting the ceiling. It's betting the ceiling of a player that's in a in a in a funk, in an in a, you know hasn't hasn't been playing well, but you just know that where, if they do click on a course that suits, they can win. Kind of did the same with Adam Scott, and Adam Scott got himself in a really good position at Torrey Pines, but couldn't actually keep that going. I've had an interesting email here from Matthew Holly. So, Matthew, thank you for your email. Big fan of the podcast, he says. After Pat Mayo and Feinberg said, and I quote, Brooks is a 50 to 1, and that should be an auto bet, I decided to completely fade Brooks in DraftKings and not make that bet. But after Brooks's win, it reminds me of Sergio's win at the Sarnison Farms. Remember when he won at 70 to 1 in the autumn? Which is not to ignore a proven winner, whether it's Sergio, Brooks, Brian Gay, Stuart Sink last year. They all had been 
winners. Yeah, they all had being a winner in common. And I think that's just something I need to always remember in my bets. Don't pass off a proven winner. He then goes on to say how Xander has no um, killer instinct like Tony Fee now. But yeah, it's an interesting point. It is an interesting point. And, you know, we can all be very um, into the statistics and, what, you know, what did they do last week? What are they trending? What's the eight weeks, the 10 weeks, the 24 rounds? But sometimes you just got to say, well, actually, it's like a Bubba Watson, isn't it? You know that Bubba is going to be going next week to Riviera. He hasn't played great so far this week. Yeah. With a loaded field, you're going to get Bubba next week, 45, 50 to 1. Well, we've had this you, before you've got to be tempted, don't you? Just say, chuck him in. Chuck him in. If he clicks that week, Bubba Watson can win. Favorite, one of his favourite courses, and you just put him in there. Yeah, he has turned up at that track um, in the past off the back of, you know, not dire form, yeah. but you know, hardly inspiring form and, yeah. and and won the tournament. So, so yeah, there's certainly a horses for courses element. There's, and, mm. you know, the, the more you look at this, the more you see players who can go over the line, and those that uh, perennially don't, and uh, they, you know the ones that perennially don't can be a, a real source of frustration. Especially when they're going off at eleven to one, and you know, and shorter, <laughs> single digit odds, and they're not winning. And Bubba was good enough this week for you know to keep that bet in mind for Riviera. Yeah. I had him in my DraftKings team, you know. He, he, did, he, he got he, stronger and stronger, Sunday. didn't he? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I'm seeing him actually. Last 36 holes, Brooke Kepka, top of the chart, 131 strokes. Bubba Watson shot 134 over the weekend. Yeah. L- level with Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Louis Oosthuizen. There's some good names in there. Next week, Genesis Invitational at Riviera. That is absolute. That's a major effectively. It's just loaded. It's going to be cracking view. You're going to get some really high class players at some very tempting odds with DJ in the field. Um, it's going to be like a, it's going to be like a, being in a candy store. Now I cannot say the same. Oh, I've got one more thing to say actually before we move on to the AT and T. One thing that's starting to I mean, these late withdrawals of elite players, that, that's becoming a, a phenomenon now that we're seeing kind of week in, week out. I can almost understand it with Dustin Johnson. One in Saudi, long flight back, withdraws. Doesn't feel right. You get that. But we had Patrick Reed the other week at the Sony Open. What's the one I'm missing, Paul, who withdrew in a tournament recently? Very short price. Had to make a load of changes. It's happening. And it's just it's screwing up betting heats, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, and it, it does completely rewrite the market. And the you know, as as you said, you know, first thing Tuesday morning, the the market as it stood um, when when we went to bed last night over in the UK has been completely ripped up. So um, you four to one favourite disappeared, and the whole market is a sea of blue. Which um, if you didn't get your bets on on Monday, you're going to be pretty pretty peeved waking up this morning and seeing the seeing the state of the market. I must say. Yeah, sitting here right now, looking at this as a betting heat. Yes, but at least your guys have a chance now that DJ is not playing because he was probably <laughs> yeah, going yeah. to win. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's... So you can look. Yeah, you can look at it both ways. When Jordan's slashing it into the water off the tee, I can yeah. say, "Well, he ain't." I've got a good price on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got a good price on Jordan. 
Um, the other thing I was going to mention are each way places and bookmakers. We're seeing a phenomenon now where um, prices are coming up on a Monday and a bookmaker is pricing them up, say, five places a quarterly odds. I'm looking right now at Treble 8 Sport. Um, in all likelihood, that will change this morning to eight places in a 50 odds. Uh, Betfred overnight. Um, I placed some bets yesterday with Betfred at seven places of 50 odds. They're quoted in my um, tips. Yeah, Paul? Yeah, woke, woke, woke up this morning, Betfred are now eight places of 50 odds. Mm. And I just think it's disingenuous to punters. I know William Hill have been doing it of late recently. I mean, they go but eight places, fair play to them. But a lot of the times, for the first hour, half an hour, that market is five places of quarterly odds. And it's just disingenuous to, to early bird punters who are out there trying to get a good price. You, you kind of guess where. All we ask for as punters is consistency. And you should really be pricing your market at at a price and at each way places and terms that actually you're going to keep until tee-off time. Or if you change the terms, then you apply those updated terms to, you know, if they're to extend places, yeah. you apply those to bets placed yeah. prior. Yeah, they won't do it retrospectively, which, yeah. as you say, would, would be would be fair. No. Do, do, you think it's a, do you think it's a deliberate ploy then to, to try and um, protect themselves against the savvy early bird punters? So often less places. It has to, to be a hedge. It has to be some sort of hedge. There's, there's got to be a reason they do it. As Steve said, there's, there's more and more of them. Yeah, and I understand that most of the book, mm. like the bookies, have had to redo their market overnight. So that's given mm. some of them an option to completely, um, you know, reshape the way that their market looks. So some of them have gone from seven to eight. So I think did you say Bet Three Six Five have gone from five to eight this morning as well, which uh, is another one who's changed. yeah. I mean, do, uh, do, 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 do. <laughs> announcement time. Bet Three Six Five for their first time that I can ever remember have gone eight places each way of fifty odds on a PGA Tour domestic tournament. But again, with Bet365, as ever, they, they they priced up Monday five places of court the odds like they always do. Fair play. That's that's what you get with them. And then I, you know, you go, you wake up this morning, Tuesday morning, and all of a sudden they're eight places of 50 odds. And all of their odds have been cut. So, yeah, there's all these, deci these decisions are being made. You know, these decisions should be made before the market goes up. Yeah, we're, we're going eight places each way of 50 odds. And that's what we are until tee-off time, or whatever those each way are. Keep changing them. Like I'm seeing from Bet Fred, from Treble Eight Sport, from William Hill. You know, it's it's not a good look. It's it's tricky, and we we do you know we do this on a professional basis. We we you know for a recreational punter, it's an absolute nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. But yes, fair play to Bet Three Six Five if they continue with this eight places each way of fifty odds trend on PGA Tour tournaments. And potentially European tour when that comes back, or the, you know they, they've moved away from this their, their five places a quarter the odds traditional stance that can only be applauded. But uh, yeah, the, the way that these odds and these each way terms are changing, um, it's it's um it's a bit of a moaning point for me, and I don't like to moan, but I think these things need to be raised on occasions. Right now that brings me on to the AT and T. Pebble Beach Pro-Am this week, which isn't a Pro-Am. The golfing world at the moment is very confusing. It's very, very confusing. 
you have pro you have primes that aren't primes but that uh, you know, can't say that's a bad thing i absolutely deplore watching pro-am so the fact that there aren't any amateurs there i think is a good thing um it is a struggle as a betting heat now that dustin johnson withdrew now we mentioned that you know when the when the prices were chalked up monday uh, dustin johnson was a four to one shot and I haven't seen four to one price on a PGA Tour event for a long, long time since Tiger Woods. Um, him being him with clearly withdrawing has has cut a huge chance or a huge percentage out of the market. So we're now seeing Patrick Cantlay as the favourite, and Patrick Cantlay is a seven to one chance. Uh, Daniel Berger. I'm seeing at 12, <laughs> Daniel Berger at 12 to 1. God. Paul Casey at 15 to 1. Boyle Sports, Paul Casey is 12 to 1 shot. So, you know, we've got some, um, it's a weak field. I think I've seen it quoted on Twitter that it's the weakest Pebble Beach ever. And that was before the withdrawal from um, Dustin Johnson. It's not a great there's, field. There's some interesting names down the bottom. Oh, right. John, John Daly, David Duval. You know, there's, you know, a lot of people, you know, you, it's not the most difficult tournaments to get a, a, a starting spot on. No. When, you, when you're seeing Jonathan Bird and the sorts, they're, they're, they're being, they're replacing, Jonathan Bird was replacing Dustin Johnson. Yeah. It's not the best. Um, I managed, of course, clearly to get on with DJ in the market prices. Um, um, it was mentioned that Jason Day in DraftKings uh, Draft Sportsbook in the United States was priced up at 50 to 1 on first show over in the US. I am seeing him right now with the DJ withdrawal and other things and the fact that he's been popular because... People are backing his ceiling. He's short now, as seventeen to one, with Paddy Power. Yeah, he opened a similar price on the exchange over here as well, forty-five, forty-seven, something like that. So, really? Yeah, you know, I guess you're looking at those kind of players, and you know, if this this trend of a you know, proven winners just a little bit off the boil were to persist, then you can you could make a case for Jason Day, I guess. Yeah. Actually played half decently from tee to green last week, so yeah, I can see where I can see where everyone's heading with that. Um, I should have said actually, um, congratulations to all Brooks Kepka backers last week. It was a proper score that one. Um, right, so we haven't got a pro am, so forget about the title of the tournament. Um, what we have got this is usually on a three course rotor. This year they've cut that to two. They're playing the world famous Pebble Beach Golf Links. 54-hole host course, and they've included Spyglass Hills as the second course. Now, Barry will tell you and told me off, Mike, um, Spyglass Hills is not the easiest of golf courses. Um, I'll give you the uh, the rankings that they were. Pebble Beach last year played, bearing in mind that this was a pro-am, it played as the eighth toughest golf course on tour last season. Spyglass Hills played as the fifth toughest golf course on the PGA Tour rotor last week. And this is the point. 
Coastal golf courses, um, short, um, sea level, cold, windy conditions, play tough. And, and no requirement to have uh, easy pins and slightly more receptive greens no, for the amateurs. So no. they can set it up properly. Yeah, and that's what, again, I put that in the preview. And and mm. we saw that a few weeks ago, didn't we, at PGA West, where they played the American Express. The, the winning yeah. score dropped two or three shots. And actually, when you looked at the way that Siwoo Kim, he won that. He, he really did win that, at kind of thin the field out. There were people getting each way places at scores far, far higher than they they usually do. So I would set up I, separates the field, right? Yeah, of course. Oh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to see tucked pins, maybe steeper rough. I think there might have, yeah, clearly no no amateurs. They're, they're, they're going to toughen this up slightly. The the greens at Pebble Beach are pure Poana. Uh, very similar to the ones at Torrey Pines. And you do see a lot of cross crossover between winners here and um, Torrey Pines. It makes logical sense. Even though the golf courses are like eight hundred yard, you know, Pebbles eight hundred yards shorter now than Torrey, but Jimmy Walker, uh, Brant Schnedeker, Phil Mickelson, um, clearly a lot, and even the likes of DA points, a definite crossover where players have played well at Torrey Pines can transfer that to here at Pebble Beach. It's the effectively very similar grasses. This hasn't got Kikuyu though, so we don't have to say anything about Kikuyu grass, which is clearly overstated every week at Torrey Pines. Oh, it's Kikuyu grass, Kikuyu grass. No Kikuyu here. So for me, um, I'm looking the weather forecast, which is what you get. Carmel by the sea is the location here. What we do know for sure, it's going to be cold this week. And when I say cold, I'm not talking Ireland, United Kingdom right now, cold. But for these PGA Tour pros, um, 11, 12 degrees Celsius, and Sunday I'm seeing 10 degrees Celsius. Yeah, with that wind blowing in off the sea. It could be a week for bubble hats. It could be a week for bubble hats and mitts, which always makes me laugh. Uh, and that put, I think that just literally puts off so many players from playing this. And it's such a run of decent tournaments in January and February, isn't it? Um, you know, schedules after to to. to kind of be built around that and and with Saudi Arabia throwing plenty of start money at it last week as well um, I think I think Pebble Beach has taken a, a big hit this year in terms of uh, in terms of the depth of field but there's an opportunity there for either an elite player that hasn't won for a length of time or for one of the players lowered down the pecking order to grab a two-year PGO Tour exemption over a million dollars in cash and of course, a starting berth at the 2021 Masters. So there's plenty to play for. Um, I'm seeing cold weather, uh, and the weekend looks particularly breezy. Uh, mm. We could be seeing anything, to, you know, 15 to 20 uh, miles an hour in terms of wind. So there's going to be just about enough there at Pebble to make it an interesting test. I think shouldn't be a pushover and. A little bit of wind like that's going to give the uh, course some protection, isn't it? So, so, yeah. This this could be the you know a really good week for a bet on Sunday morning before they go out. Just catch somebody from a bit down the pack. They go post a, you know, three four under par in pretty tricky you know tricky looking conditions right now and set the score and 
watch the others try catch it. Especially with the, the wind looks, well, I mean, it look, it's a long way away, but the wind looks to be picking up as the day goes by on Sunday. So, Phil Mickelson in 2012, he was six back on Sunday. Uh, Vaughan Taylor, do you remember Vaughan Taylor winning this in 2016? I guess what I was on Phil Mickelson that year. He finished second. Um, he he went in a head to head with Phil Mickelson. He was six back, so it wasn't much of a head to head. I think clearly Vaughan set the target 90 minutes before, but yeah, six back. So Barry very much in play, very much in play. I also remember Phil Mickelson when I was on board. 2019, chasing down Paul Casey. He was three back of Paul going into going into Sunday. So yeah, could happen. That 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 um the weather forecast is very very volatile. Sometimes I look at it, it's quite calm, and then sometimes you look at it six hours later, and all of a sudden there's a bit more volatility with the wind. You get that by the coast. So it'll be interesting to see how that actually pans out. Anything to say? Either two of you, before we go into some more detail about the course or the agronomy or what we're expecting to see this way? No, not, not really, I don't think. It's it's a pretty much a known quantity, isn't it? We've seen a lot of Pebble Beach, both in this event and also um, the US Open's been held here over the years. I, I just, I'll be interested to see how it does set up differently from a normal Pro-Am um, for, for the points that Barry made. You know, There's no need mm. for it to be... Um, pin placements in the middle of greens they can they can tuck them away a little bit they can make it a bit tougher um, and uh, you know whilst it's not going to be US Open tough um, because that's not the objective here I expect it's going to be um, somewhere between the two so interesting dynamic particularly with three of the rounds being held at Pebble this year rather yeah. than just the normal two yeah it'll be interesting as well like I mean Mont- Monterey Peninsula there was a lot of guys that got on very well that and you know really took you know took yeah. a good score away from there. Yeah. And then, but then there was other you know Pebble was set up so soft and benign as well because of the amateurs playing. Some guys were able to go out on their one round early in the week on Pebble and shoot a really no, low number. Conditions, you know, if the, if the wind was kind of cooperating, so just an interesting little thing to consider for me anyway. That Monterey is now not there and Pebble is. Yeah. And I, I think they'll it'd be. I hope they dial it up a little bit for Pebble and, you know, give it a bit of protection. Tuck those pins. It's, uh, it it's isn't. Much- a, it isn't a scary forecast where the course correspond. You know, course superintendents going, oh, we need to, you know, get the hoses out, lads. It's mm. balls are going to be oscillating, and there's nothing like that. They can no, make no. this into a very nice mid sort of fourteen, fifteen under par yeah. target. An interest, you know, uh, that's that to me is a fascinating kind of level where better players pretty much will get can take that home and you'll see a level of separation because the course has just got a bit of bite to it rather than one of these 22 under 24 under birdie fests i don't i don't think we'll see that this week so what, what what are the key uh, attributes this week then steve skill wise it's like you it's like you were teeing me up there barry i like it um <laughs> you could be a host on a podcast you could you do a damn sight better job than me. Right. Um, if you look at skill averages, I'll go traditional first. So I'm taking Dustin Johnson in 2010, last time he won here, all the way up to 2020. Nick Taylor, 160 to 1 Nick Taylor. Um, basically, driving distance 41st, not pro- you don't need to be a bomber. Driving accuracy 29th, greens in regulation 6th, proximity to hole 15th. 
Scrambling 26th and putting average 6th. So there you go. Irons and a hot putter. If you look at that from a strokes gain perspective, strokes gain off the tee 36th. I'm talking 2016 through 2020 here, so Vaughan Taylor through Nick Taylor. Strokes gain off the tee, on average, of those winners, 36th in the field. Strokes gained approach, 9th. Strokes gained around the green, 26th. Strokes gained tee to green, 10th. Strokes gained putting, 20th. Again, it's a classical course. You can win it in different ways. Some people have won here with a red-hot putter. Um, I mean, Nick Taylor last year, strokes gained putting was second. Bearing in mind that these strokes gained numbers as well were only registered on the host course, which would have been Pebble Beach, over two rounds. We didn't get mm -hmm. to see their numbers for uh, for Monterey Peninsula or for Spyglass Hills. So it's a, yeah. For me, it's a, it's a second shot golf course. And I'm always a believer that you need a player that's an I mean, you just got to look at the winners here. Vaughan Taylor is a very, very streaky putter. Jordan Spieth, Phil Mickelson, Branch Snedeker's won here twice. These these are high-quality putters, yeah? They're natural putters. And even Todd, Ted Potter Jr., when he's on it, could be a, a really decent putter. I think the, these Poana Greens screw with people's minds. Um you know, uh, hit, it hit a spike mark and it bounced, or it hit a bit of a, a, a seed had popped out late and it, they were getting a bit gnarly, the greens, a bit bobbly. A lot of players just cannot get on with it. So, a lot of them decide not to play and a lot of them have to play here because they're in that and they struggle here. I had a good look at Rory Sabatini. I'll be honest with you. Rory Sabatini, in a couple of outings recently, has been absolutely you know, spanking it tee to green, but you just, you just look at you look at his form around here, and he just he just year after year just struggles hideously with these Poana greens. Just struggles. Yeah. It, it, it is a bit off putting, isn't it? Because I, I looked at Sabatini as well because he has has been producing um, yep. odd flashes of you know, well, in fact, you know, decent rounds, isn't he? Is um, uh, with some quite some regularity as well. He's the kind of player that often pops up for a first round um, leader performance, and we're, we're going to struggle again this week because you've got over two two different courses for the first round leader market, so it's not quite as attractive. But, uh, but yeah, I again, it's it's his performances here that just are the off putting aspect with Sabatini. Other other than that, there's quite a bit to like with him. The one trend that I've seen. And it's difficult linking Nick Taylor, believe me, Phil Mickelson, Ted Potter Jr., Jordan Spieth and the like together. The one trend that I've seen is in the build-up, and it might not have been the week before, but and it, you know, in the case here, a lot of them, these were on short coastal courses. I mean, I'll just give you Nick Taylor. He played the Sony Open in the build-up to this. And actually, you look at Nick Taylor's form uh, before he won this. 49th at Phoenix, so okay, reasonable. Missed the cut, PGA West. He was 32nd at the Sony Open. So you can see why he was 160 to 1, and I guarantee you he was not popping in models. But you actually look at his numbers. He was in the top 20 of both my driving accuracy and greens and regulation numbers for that tournament. And... He'd been first for driving accuracy, first for greens in regulation, first for total driving and first for ball striking at the Sony Open. And that translated to seven, uh, strokes gained approach. He was seventh that week at the Sony. 
14th tee to green. And you see that quite a lot. Phil Mickelson, I was on board. Mickelson had missed the cut at Phoenix the week before. And a lot of people, oh, don't fancy Phil Mickelson at 25 to 1. But the outing before that, he'd finished second at PJ West, where he'd finished in the top nine for strokes gained approach and second for tee to green. So there's this kind of underlying theory. If you can find a player that's been absolutely had an outing at a relevant course, sure, coastal even better, if you can translate that, and even if there's miscuts in there and whatever, Ted Potter Jr., his form in, I think he was 78th Ted Potter Jr., or 73rd at Torrey Pines, miscut, miscut was his form before winning this at 500 to 1. But before then, he'd gone to the RSM Classic, the last tournament of... Uh, the year before, and he had been fourth for strokes gained approach, fifth for strokes gained around the green, and fifth for strokes gained tee to green when finishing 13th. So there's this kind of underlying narrative, and that's kind of where I've pitched it. Also, in terms of winning odds, and that's um, something that we always look at week in, week out here on the podcast, it's really feast or famine. Nick Taylor, 160 to 1. Phil Mickelson, 25 to 1. Ted Potter Jr., 500 to 1. Jordan Spieth, 9 to 1. Vaughan Taylor, 300 to 1. Branch Snedeker, 25 to 1. Jimmy Walker, 28 to 1. And what you find is you go across all of those years Nick Taylor, Ted Potter Jr., Vaughan Taylor. They'll all have been in a kind of head to head with an elite player. And for whatever reason, the minnow has actually won that week. I know why I have it. It's strokes gained amateur partner. Yeah, well, we haven't got that dynamic this year either, have we? No, no. I mean, it could, it could be something like that. You know, you're a bit more relaxed. You, you know, you when you're, you're going up against a big boy. Maybe Kevin Na needed an amateur partner last week just to chill him out in uh, Saudi. You think about it last year. Nick Taylor was, I think, uh, dead level with Phil Mickelson going into that final round. Uh, Ted Potter Jr. went head-to-head with Dustin Johnson in 2018 and beat him. And Vaughan Taylor in 2016 shot the round from the gods. Yeah. Uh, He was six back, wasn't he, as we said earlier. Six back, shot the final round from the gods. And I think he beat Phil Mickelson, who needed to eagle the 18th to take it into a playoff. And uh, didn't. So you you find here, and we, we can go way back to Steve Lowry. Steve Lowry, of all people, I think was in a head-to-head with Vijay Singh, who at the time was world number two or world number one, beat him. It happens a lot. So, yeah, where, where do you, you don't tend to get many of these. I can only see one, 80-1 DA points in 2011. It's either elite player or no hoper. <laughs> That's how this tournament tends to work in terms of the winner. So, actually, that's quite... It's not, it's not easy now because there's so many players that have... You know, clearly, the market's been destroyed on price. Um, triple-digit fancies are really in play this week. And I know that's the... You guys love a triple-digit price, don't you? The one, I was, the one I mentioned to Paul that really... You can actually back him up statistically. Isn't in my tips. was Scott Stallings. Scott Stallings, he's 100-1 to 1 at the moment. 
And Scott Stallings has got an amazing record here. It's um, He has finished... 2017, he was 14th. 2018, 7th. 2019, 3rd. Plays Pebble Beach really well. And actually, if you look at my strokes gain numbers, he's in a lot of them. He's playing some really nice golf under the surface. So, yeah, 100 to 1, Scott Stallings. I think that isn't a bad shout this week. What about you two guys um, in terms of triple digits? Who are you on? Um, I've only backed, I've backed three players, and all of them were in that kind of bracket. So um, I can take you through all three of them now. Yeah, why not? Like. Why not? Um, Firstly, Stalin's was one one of the ones I marked as well, actually, Steve. Um, and on top of what you said, he's also won at Torrey Pines. Um, yeah. Also had a playoff loss there, didn't he? So yeah, um, you know, there's there's lots to like. He um, he had COVID at the back end of last year, so that uh, knocked him a little bit. Although he's, he's a very fit guy, as you, you, you well know nowadays, so um, it seems to have bounced back a little bit. And uh, if his putter works, then I can see see Stalin's being in the mix this week. Um, I haven't backed him actually. What the three that I've backed? The first one is Andrew Putnam at um, well, backed him 125s yesterday. He's been chopped uh, down to about hundreds as you'd expect with the market being reformed. Um, he's not got the best record here, um, hence the price. But uh, seventh last week, and that was off the back of a 21st place finish at the Amex, the, the um, outing before. 86% greens regulation last week, which tied Brooks at the top for that stat. What really got me was zero bogeys, no bogeys in his entire four rounds last week. So completely birdie, uh, bogey free on the week for his seventh place, seventh place finish. Um, not got the best record here, but if you dig into it, played the 2019 US Open here, led the field for putting that week, 1.57 putts per green in regulation in that old stat. Um, for the US Open. So that's a bit of an eye-opener on these Poana greens. Um, and if he's ever going to step up, he's got two you know, Corn Ferry wins. He's got um, the Barracuda win back in 2018. But this is a step above that. So if he's going to step up to the next level, um, this is the kind of event that, uh, that he could well take as that, uh, as that next step. Um, some coastal form as well. Second in Hawaii last year um, at the Sony. Fourth at the Scottish Open when he popped over to the uh, European Tour. And clearly playing some nice stuff. With that wind in play, I think you might find, because tiny greens here, aren't they? Um, with the wind in play, you might find that um, strokes gained around the green is one of the um, important factors here this week. And if you mm -hmm. look at his last two yeah. starts, fifth and second for strokes gained around the green. Um, for his last two starts on tour, Andrew Putnam. So, uh, so yeah, you can still get 100 to 1, and um, I quite like yeah. his chances this week, I must say, with Putnam. He was um, on my he was on my very short list, Andrew Putnam. Yeah. Get Only, on him now, get on him. Get on him you, now. You made me laugh there, Paul. You mentioned the Sony Open where he finished second. You know, you know what I'm going to tell you, don't you? I was on him that week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mustn't swear. I was on him that week. That's enough. To him and Matt swear. Kuchar. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Putnam's a really good shout. You, you do like a second place shout. finish, dude. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Putnam. Another one I've backed is Brandon Grace. Um, I got a very early 150 to one on Grace, which I thought was a mad price um, for a player who can win a golf tournament. Um, again, he's been locked in. Um, you're getting around about 100 or slightly shorter now. 
um, he'd lost his father last month to COVID and um, it's interesting to see how these things play out and sometimes you know players are right off the ball sometimes these kind of things act as a, a real motivator and often that kind of storyline is something that pops up in his uh, you know is quite prominent during the course of an event so I wonder how that will act for him this week um, he won the Sony or sorry the South African Open last January didn't really show much after that until he finished eighth at the earth course for the DP World Tour Championship um, in December on the European Tour, which was a positive outing for him. Um, miscut at Sony on his last start, but that was when his father was, was at his um, illest, effectively. So you can imagine that he had other things on his mind. But really, it's the terrain here that gets him for me because he's a coastal um, linksy uh, master when you look through his... Um, Look through his history. Um, his only win on the PGA Tour came at the coast at Hilton Head. He's won the Dunhill Links. He won a couple of Qatar Masters, which obviously often plays um, quite linksy. Um, won twice at Fancourt Links, um, which is his home course back in South Africa. 62, he shot at Birkdale, which is the Open Championship record in terms of low score. And this type of terrain is absolutely where he thrives. 20th here is his best effort. Um, there was a stat I saw from you somewhere, Steve, about players having finished inside the top 20 yeah. in this event in the past as being yeah, yeah, yeah. positive indicators as well. So mm. that ticks that box as well. And um, with a bit of wind in the forecast, you know that his low shot shape absolutely suits the uh, windy conditions. So, so yeah, Brandon Grace was a, a, an interesting pick for me. And the, the final one, a similar kind of logic, I guess, is um, Padraig Harrington. Um, and again, it's been locked down a little bit in terms of price, but 200 to 1 he was early doors yesterday. Mm. And with these windy, cold conditions, they really should should favour a player yeah. like him, I think. And with most Ryder Cup captains, they tend to go off the boil, don't they? But I wonder with Harrington if he's going to be the kind of player who um, looks to buck that trend. He still thinks and still um, believes. Well, look at Steve Stricker last week. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's, he, Harrington still thinks that he's, um, he's he's capable of competing with the with the you know with the youngsters. He, was he forty nine now? So you know he, he'd go and play with the uh, seniors from next year. He, should he? Want he to did see? say this year. Yeah, he said that's his target this year to see if he's competitive mm. still. And you know, there's been signs the last few weeks that he really is. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. And if he if he gets his wedges going, like he's one of the best wedge players out there. You know, yeah. ha, you know, for, has been for his whole career. So. Yeah, yeah and, you know, the, the conditions yeah. as well are absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely ideal for it. Cold, breezy, it just shouts Europeans and Australians, doesn't it, to a certain yeah. extent. Players that will put up with these uh, linksy type conditions. Mm. And Parrington, well, don't have to say anything, do you? No, no, no. Wait, your two opens, a couple of Dunhill links wins as well. Um, he was fifth here at the 2000 US Open. He's finished seventh here um, mm-hmm. as, as part of the AT and T Prime yeah. in the past as well. Interesting. I, I, I don't know if you watch any of his social media stuff, but um, he often gives like a, a minute or two um, preview of how um, how he's doing and what he thinks of each particular tournament. So um, just before he went and played Dubai a couple of weeks back on the European Tour, he did his Wednesday interview where he said that he was really struggling with his game and it's, uh, you know, it, it really wasn't um, wasn't pleased with the, with how things were going. I mean, it'd see how it all got together when uh, when when he teed off on the Thursday, um, and he finished sixth. 
Signalis. So basically, game. reject whatever he says. If he says he's playing well, forget that. If he says he's playing poorly, forget that. But just watch it. Yeah, yeah. You know, clearly got onto the course and found he was playing far, far better than he thought he was in practice. So he's doing all right, though. Isn't he? He's definitely he's he's on a kind of renaissance curve. Mm. I mean, this 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 him and Steve Stricker have just been absolutely phenomenal recently. Yeah. But you're getting good juicy prices, aren't you? Absolutely, mm. yeah. Well, Absolutely, yeah. So, so I backed Harry into the back Grace yeah. and I've backed Putnam. And they're, they're the only three that I've uh, I've taken this week. What about you, Barry? I know I know that you've been absolutely slaughtered with this DJ withdrawal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it. Um, I mean, it certainly made a few changes to prices. Like, I'm seeing Grace there, uh, Paul, uh, as low as 66 to 1 there. Wow. Now, uh, obviously, that's the extreme price. But, you know, in... G- He's gone. He's eighties, nineties, mostly now. So um, that's um, in terms of having a good feel about your bet straight away. That you're, you know, you're kind of ahead of, or you're winning a little bit. Um, yeah, catching them at one fifty is lovely. And um, yeah, I don't think there's any uh, uh, train lines near the, either of the courses, so that'll help. You know, um, Grace. Thinking back to the time I was on him at uh, Chambers Bay when he blasted one off, um, off the planet onto the train tracks. On the oh, yeah. The 16th. Yeah, I had, yeah, yeah. I had a, a, I had a very, four, yeah. very juicy price on him mm. that week. So, um, look, I, I... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Bridesmaid Bamford bet. Um, I think I was on him. I was certainly on DJ. <laughs> I was definitely on DJ that week. You, you, that explains we won't a lot. We go down that route. <laughs> so... Um, do you know, I, I'm not overly enamoured with the top of the market this week, um, particularly now that DJ is gone. And it's just, I, I, I don't know, I can't really get a good feel for anyone. Um, I think I might stick with Max Homa, just a big fan of his. So it might it might just be a a, fa- a fanboy bet, you know, just, he's a good guy to support. Um, Sam Burns has been doing some nice stuff recently as well. Uh, so... I mean, he's bound to break through at some stage. If it's this week, I don't know. But, uh, you know, in around that 33, 35 to 1, eh, I'm not... Uh, it's it's hard to kind of pull the trigger on it. I like a few of those shouts who made their poll. You know, those um, long odds, 100 to 1ers, Stallings, Harrington, um, Grace, I probably won't back now that he's just gone in. You know, t- too much of a history of Grace, but um, it's a tricky one. I think I I, uh, I think I might actually follow you in a couple of years, Paul, and um, maybe do what I said earlier in the show and hang on for Sunday and see can I pick one or two that are maybe three or four shots back um, of the lead and um, throw a couple of bets on and see what happens, get, get a bit of a Sunday um, charge going. Yeah, yeah, keep close to that uh, weather forecast because if it does manifest the way that it looks um, and it does get windier and windier during the day on Sunday then uh, then then your theory could well be uh, could well be proven to be correct I was frustrated with a lot of the players on my shortlist and what prices they were priced up at mm. even prior to the DWD from uh, DJ for my shortlist I had James Harm um, he was on my shortlist prior to that crazy Sunday finish when he clearly hit the lead and then really did. Had a real chance, didn't he? He really did eject, didn't he? He had a mammal. He was at the winning score. Um, I also had Michael Thompson, who's been playing some nice stuff recently. None of them were triple digit. 
um, Scott Stallings, and I had Andrew Putnam. And when you just go down the list of, you know, and we've said about um, Pebble Beach and the link to Torrey Pines, one player that just sits there at a kind of weird, a big price and is a relatively big name is J.B. Holmes. Mm. He's played well around here, J.B. Holmes. And, you, and do you remember when he won, uh, he won at Riviera two years ago and had done absolutely nothing prior to? You look at J.B. Holmes in California, he does come with some top top results there's a hundred there's uh, there's a 200 to one price hanging out there at the moment with jb holmes and you know that's the kind of player that will just pop up and you'll go oh my lord jb holmes he hasn't done anything for months and then bang right in the mix um anyway i'll take you through mine um you can you can laugh as loudly as you like i've got some good value losers this week at least in terms of the odds because they've been all cut now Jordan Speed, 25 to 1, eight places each way with Betfair. I'll just throw some numbers into the mix. Um, Jordan's, this was, he said uh, before, um, after the final round, this was, this golf course in general isn't a great golf course for me, historically. He also said that during practice prior to the Phoenix Open, he was very tempted to just get on his private jet and go home to Texas because he wanted to be ready for Pebble Beach, were his words. Um, Fourth was his best ever finish at the Phoenix Open. It was also his best finish since the 2019 PGA Championship, where he was third behind Brooks Kepka. His third round 10 under 61 was his lowest since the 2015 John Deere Classic. 77.78% greens in regulation was his best number since the 2018 BMW Championship. He topped, strokes, he topped strokes gained on approach for the first time since Pebble Beach here 12 months ago. And he only made six bogeys for the week. That was the, the last time he got six bogeys in a tournament or lower was the 2017 BMW Championship where he finished seventh. And 2017 was the year he won the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, the Travellers' Championship and the Open Championship, the last of his 11 PGA Tour wins. I just thought, I woke up yesterday just thinking to myself, what price are we going to get for Jordan Spieth this week? And my instinct was 25 to 1 would be there or thereabouts, or they could really cut the bottom out of it, 22s and 20s. 25 to 1, I thought, yeah, that'll do for me. I'll ignore his driving. I'll just concentrate on the positives. With a cold, windy forecast, if this gets a little bit troublesome, I think he'll be able to navigate himself around here. And his record here, 22nd, 4th, 7th, 21st, 7th, uh, 1st, 20th and 9th last year. And when he finished 9th here last year, he hadn't done anything in the outings prior. So I think if he's finished ninth here last year when he was really in the doldrums, and that was his only top 10 in 2020, um, I just think he'll... And I said to you, I've had success in the past with Mickelson. I've had success with Schnedeker. 25 to 1, a player that's just on a West Coast golf course that's sure to suit him, has just fired something before he's won this. I think I just put Jordan Smith right in that category. The other thing, you just look at the you look at the courses that are coming up for Jordan Spieth. He's apart from Copperhead, Florida golf courses just aren't his bag. He, he I, 
he either doesn't play or struggles. So in terms of viable targets for someone to actually go out there and really, you know, get a big load of uh, official golf ranking points and just feel, be able to be in contention again and ride a cup year and all this, this is a big week for, for, for uh, Jordan because Florida just isn't his bag at all. Um, so yeah, Spieth, I've also gone for one that's far more consistent and his numbers are progressing nicely. 15th in Houston, 8th at PGA West, 10th at Torrey Pines. Uh, Francesco Molinari. And like you said, Barry, Torrey Pines is not Francesco's bag. I tipped, tipped him up that week. I think he was uh, 70 to 1 on the hope that he might sneak a top uh, an each way place. And he came one shot away from doing that for me. Told you so. But this, yeah, this is his bag, in my opinion. Short, yeah. coastal, windy, cold. It just screams Francesco Molinari to me. And we were talking about those strokes gained approach numbers. Someone that flashed something prior. Jordan Spieth was first for strokes gained approach last week. Um, Molinari hitting tons of greens. He's just doing his thing now. He was 15th and 6th for greens in regulation over PGA West and Torrey Pines. And he also ranked 9th for strokes gained on approach. And 3rd for tee to green last time out at La Holla. I just think he's ideal for this. Just whether he can putt. I've got no fear about him on Poana because a lot of those wins that he has in Italy, those greens, they're always a bent Poana mix, aren't they? And clearly, yeah. I, I don't really need to shout about his uh, Open Championship background because you know, he's an Open champion. He's got a couple. He's also got a ninth and a eleventh in the Open. He can play by the coast. Yeah, he's, he's certainly started to pick up his form, hasn't he? So I can, I can and guess what? The Ryder Cup Team Europe captains on the property this week. Wouldn't it be great if they actually put Harrington and Molinari in the same group? I'd mm. love that. I'd absolutely love it. No pressure. Well, it wouldn't be that, would it? Frank, would be like, let's take this as an opportunity. Great golf mm-hmm. course for me. You just yeah. get the good feels back. The good Ryder Cup feels, you know. Yeah. It's it's a really good. It's I like I like the uh, I like the shout. I think he's. Um, He's showing a lot of good stuff right now, and which I doubted. Um, but it's great to see him coming back. I, I, with what happened with Molinari and Fleetwood at the last Ryder Cup, there is absolutely if he's showing anything, Molinari. Mm-hmm. I know that the golf course won't suit him, but he's such an elite level player; he can get around um, whistling straights. Um, I just don't think there's any way that Pad Paddy wouldn't put him in as a pick if he's playing anything close to his best this this year. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's able, he's able to handle Augusta right up until the twelfth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. when his career when his career changed, you know. Oh so, yeah, like, and he's finished second in the PGA Championship at Quail Hollow, which is another yeah. seven thousand six hundred yard beast of a golf course. Yeah, if he's if he's if he's hitting those lasers, um, yeah, it doesn't matter what course he's on. Uh, two more. I ke- I, I keep backing this guy. I keep backing him by the coast. I still believe he's got a PJ Tour win in him. Um, I think it's going to come by the coast, and it's Henrik Norlander. I've got a point each way at sixty to one with Bet Fred, who were seven places each way at the time I placed it, but are now eight places each way. But um, yeah. His, again, his strokes gained approach numbers have been right on the money. 
Um, he's fifth for strokes gained approach across my eight-week trackers. And wasn't he second two weeks ago at Torrey Pines? Yeah, he was. He was in that group for second. That's a Someone like Norlander, to finish second at Torrey Pines, a golf course that's too long for him in reality, but against such elite names at the top of that leaderboard, you know, uh, Victor Hovland, um, I was going to say Ryan Palmer. Um, <laughs> you know, there was elite names there, wasn't there? The, and, and Patrick Reed and, and John Rahm and Norlander was there, finished tied for set. That's got to boost your inner confidence and your mojo that you can mix it with the very best. I think in a weak field here on a short golf course, he was 24th here last uh, year. So he doesn't. There's a, there's this thing about people who finished top twenty one in here before they've won. But he he finished the week very very strongly at Pebble Beach last year here in Norlander, and he's a totally different gravy com- compared to where he was twelve months ago. So I think Norlander's got a decent shout. And the last one, again, he was a bit of a darling last week, and he has been a darling because he's been playing so work. It's El. Do you what did you call him, Paul? Capitano, El Capitano, Chris Kirk, Captain Kirk. Captain Chris Kirk. I've got a point each way, 90 to 1. I managed to get on him on Bet Fred yesterday, seven place each way, on Chris Kirk. Four time PGA Tour winner. And we're talking about winners. You know, some of them are in your face, aren't they? But you look at Chris Kirk, four time PGA Tour winner. He's also had three Corn Ferry victories, so seven professional victories. He actually won on the Corn Ferry last year. And you put Kirk amongst a group of players in a final round, yeah, and you've got you know your usual chunkers and guys that you know can't take the vic. I would say look at Chris Kirk and go, do you know what? He's a- Kirk's had the ability to win in the past, and he could just come and take it. And Kirk's been playing some fantastic stuff. 18th at Sea Island, 40- 46th at El Chameleon. Of course, there was that amazing second place finish at the Sony Open where he needed something like that to keep his tour card. Yeah, that major. That wasn't it. That was proper ballsy. Didn't he bogey the first two on Sunday? And you're going, oh, here we go. And he pulled it round and delivered. Mm. 16th at PGA West the week after. Missed the cut last week. Don't mind that at all. But his approach play was absolutely laser like. Um, at those two outings prior to that miscut. He was eighth for strokes gained approach at both um, Wileye Country Club and PJ West. And that's exactly what we want. 90 to 1. I'm all over, all over Chris Kirk this week. Who's finished second here in the past. And you just look at where he's played well. Kapalua, uh, Wileye Country Club, Sea Island, uh, Mayakoba. He just loves a seaside assignment. So, yeah, I could see Chris Kirk popping back up this week at 90 to 1. So, I've got Kirk Norlander, Francesco Molinari, and Jordan Spieth. Those are my four. Don't come, don't come crying to us when Spieth is blasting his driver into like all sorts of rocky and beach, beach, <laughs> beachside lies, Steve. Mm. He's, he had the big hooks going with the long clubs. What was, it, what was he yeah. like prior to the pressure, though? What was he like on? Was it was it just as? I didn't see a lot of Saturday. Was he just as bad Saturday and Friday? I Saturday I saw quite a lot of it, and he didn't see a lot of the fairway. So it was just one of those kind of freak days where it worked out. Um, look, 
I, it was great to see him talking to his ball again and, and talking out his process. You know, those kind of things we have um, that I have in mind for him, you know, when he was back uh, winning say, the Open Championship in 2017. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, the irons were good. Um, you know, one worrying thing was that, you know, he was at times he was telling it to get up or to get down and the thing was like perfectly pin high or he was saying be right and then it lands like 10 or 12 yards long and these are not with long irons you know these are with mid and short irons so you know it's so, something's not right with exactly how dialed he is the but feel, yeah he mentioned men- that in, he mentioned, yeah. mentioned that in all of his interview yeah yeah men- <clears throat> mentally though <clears throat> excuse me Mentally, though, it seems like he is kind of coming around. Like he's, he's He has to, doesn't he? If he wants to get in the Ryder Cup, he's yeah. got to perform. It's simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, it, it just seems like he's starting to feel it again. Whether, you know, the whether he's fully believing it or not, that's another thing. But the process seems to have kind of begun for him to start to, to kind of believe. And, and, you know, any confidence he's been trying to build over the last few years has seemed incredibly fragile. Yeah, yeah. This one seems like it might have a bit more substance to it that he can actually build on this, and and any confidence he gained from last week won't be eva- you know, evaporated with one bad swing this week. So, I mean, I think regardless of what happens this week, whether he goes really well or even misses the cut, I think he's made a, a solid step in the right direction, and hopefully we see him back to you know maybe just get that little bit more uh, fine tuning on his irons or or just know what's happening with them and and maybe just work out those uh, those woods because he's hitting these big slingy hooks and that's that's not really um that's not something you can just bring to the to the PGA tour. I just thought also the fifty four holes at Pebble kind of works for him. Because you just look at his I've broke I've gone to the level of breaking down his scores here and he does he often struggles somewhere like a, you know, sometimes he won't have done well on a particular year here because he's he just didn't shoot a low enough score at Monterey. Mm. But he's, you know, 71 and 67. He finished last year with a 67 five under in the wind. It was the best round of the day. And he, I just think them having 54 holes on a classical US Open track, a tough track, suits Jordan. And if he's three or four back going into Sunday, you just know he's got a live chance. Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to get a lot of guys at the top of that leaderboard that either haven't won in the past or haven't won for a while or constantly get in great positions and then go backwards. If Spieth's in the mix, I just would not be surprised if he just comes and takes it. But, yeah, conversely, he could shoot 78 on the first day and it's game over. It's game over. He has something to grab onto and hold onto now, and there'll be, there's no doubt he'll be working hard on the, the driver, the three wood, and the, the anything with a W, um, <laughs> you know, on the end of it. Um, he'll be he'll be working hard on it just to try smooth it out a bit. Um, yeah, well said. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be good. We get to watch, we get to see Pebble Beach with no fans, which means they're gonna have some of those really cool new camera angles that the, and, the new and, producers yeah. have been bringing in and, and we've no seen amateurs. without the fans. No amateurs. No amateurs, so lots of drone shots. Uh, yeah, it should be, should be nice viewing. Thank you for your time, gentlemen. I hope your bets go well. Yeah, best of luck, guys. You too, boys, and good luck to all the listeners. Nice to have you back, Barry. It's always a, it's always a positive when you're on the pod. Our 150th pod is in the rearview mirror. 
Uh, thank you. And we will be back again next week for the Genesis Invitational, which is, as, as I said in the pod, is absolutely stacked. It's it's like, um, you can't even call it a fifth major with the play. It's like a sixth major. The quality of the field next week is absolutely brilliant at Riviera Country Club. I thank you for listening. Five-star reviews, keep them coming, and we'll see you again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>